presented by Millie Package. Joining me today is longtime UFC fighter, current UFC broadcaster, and former coach of Tyron Woodley, Dean Thomas. Dean, welcome on to Division Two Sports Radio, my friend. Thank you for having me, man. I truly, truly, truly appreciate you. Well, we appreciate you, too, and your insight and knowledge is second to none. And uh, I want to start by talking about your career in the octagon because you had a hell of a career. Uh, some of your most notable fights, of course, BJ Penn, Kenny Florian, Jeremy Stevens, Matt Serra, many, many more badasses that you stepped in the octagon with. But during your career, which fighter impressed you the most when you actually did finally step into the octagon and see them face to face? Mm, wow, that's a really tough question. I mean, you know, everybody had their own skill set or, you know, threat about them that was dangerous that really kind of, you know, had an impact on me. Um, so it's, it's really hard to narrow it down to say who really impressed me. I mean, in terms of like, you know, BJ Penn, the speed of BJ really impressed me. You know, Matt Sarah, his his durability impressed me. Impressed me. Um, Josh Near, his grit impressed me. Kenny Florian, his intelligence impressed me. So, like, everybody had something about them that was just impressive. But no, nobody really, you know, any one person stood out over the other, though. You have found a, a close relationship and friendship with uh, Matt Sarah since that fight, which is kind of ironic because of how the fight actually happened and played out, right? Um, yeah. Very, very controversial how it ended. So I know he kind of jokes with you every once in a while about the fight itself, how he did originally get his hand raised. So talk me through that night from your perspective at UFC 41. Well, I tell you this, man, I trained hard for that fight. Like I had, uh, you know, I was in the, in the gym with Shannon Briggs and his, and his people. So like we did a lot of boxing and just moving and take down the fence. So like I had the game plan all set in my head. So during the fight, as I'm fighting, I'm executing this game plan, like, perfectly, like, just the way we practiced it. So, like, I, I didn't get taken down. I was barely getting hit. So, like, I felt like I was doing good, like, with exactly what I practiced. So then when they made the announcement, you know, uh, Buffer's on the thing, and he's like, and winner by split decision, Matt Sarah, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, my head was just, like, about to explode. I couldn't believe it. Then we go to the back, and I'm sitting in the dressing room, and my team is around me, and everybody's just like, man, that was, I don't know, that was a bad call. Dana White walks in the room, and he says, hey, man, you won that fight. I said, you know what? I thought I won that fight, too. And he said, no, no, you really won. One of the judges had the, the score mixed up, and he had it flipped upside down or whatever. So we're overturning that decision, and we're going to give you the win. And I was like, yay! So, like, we all, you know, jumped for joy. So, like, I mean, it was one of those situations where, like, I really felt like I did enough to win. When you hear the other person being called, I mean, it's really kind of disheartening. But um, I'm glad I just, you know, the record re reflects that I won the fight. Yeah, you'll always have bragging rights over him for sure every time you see him yeah, now. I got, I got the tattoo on my arm to prove it. <laughs> that's, all, that's hilarious. Uh, speaking of hilarious, you and Sarah actually pranked Dana White in a video I saw a while back. Uh, Y'all were on an airplane together with Dana White, who you previously mentioned as well. What's it like working alongside Dana White on looking for a fighter and also uh, just inter interacting with him on a daily basis, especially because you're doing some commentary for the UFC? Well, you know, Dana is a what you see is what you get type of guy. The one thing, there's a lot of things that 
that you can admire about Dana. I mean, if it's on his mind, he's going to say it. So, like, that's one thing. That, and, I mean, he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't waste time. It's like, all right, this is the way it is, and that's it. So, and he makes decisions fast. Like, that's one thing that I've learned from him is that he makes decisions, like, really fast. Like, all right, are we going to do this or not? It's not a lot of hesitation with Dana. So, um, but, I mean, he's just a really good guy to be around. Like, he's ex- extremely intelligent. He's a go-getter. He's a hustler. And um, and he's a fun guy. Like, a lot of people don't know how funny he is. So, like, that's why, you know, when we're, when we're on the plane, we're allowed, we can make fun of him and we can prank him and, and do things like that because he's gotten us. Like, he's gotten all of us. There was, when we shot the main episode of Looking for a Fight, I had to sleep under the bed because I didn't want them to come in and mess with me. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, Dana's a real cool dude to hang out with. He's super smart and just... You know, he, he runs a big company, so it's hard for him to please everybody. But, um, you know, I can't say anything bad about the, about the gentleman. I'm sure he's uh, at the top of the list when it comes to guys that you'd like to uh, potentially go to the casino with, I'd assume. Oh, yeah. You know, like Dana, I mean, that, but you know one thing about him is, like, he makes everybody work for their money because, you know, he grew up poor, so, like, he understands the value of a dollar. He still understands the value of a dollar. He don't just throw money away. The only time I ever see him just be loose with money is, like, at restaurants and to people who serve him. Like, when he's a really big tipper, and he's very generous in terms of that. But, like, if you work for him, he's like, hey, listen – you're going to work for this. I'm not giving you anything. And I like that about him, to be honest. Right. And uh, he, he's running a hell of a company, like you mentioned. And you've actually been on both sides of the company, not just with broadcasting, but you competed and coached at a very high level. So how has the fight game changed since you last entered the octagon as a fighter? You know, in terms of the UFC, it's just so organized and professional. And they're always looking to solve problems. So, like, when there's issues with MMA in general, the UFC is the ones who lead the charge on solving that problem. So, like, when you look at it, so even with COVID, like, the UFC was the ones who put it on their back and said, let's keep this thing going, let's keep everybody employed. So, like, that's the one thing about the UFC is that they're always looking to improve upon things and make things a little easier for everybody. And, you know, when I was fighting, I mean, it was totally different i mean it was still very small and unorganized and they were just trying things out but they were always still evolving but now it's just at a level where it's just you know very professional there's so many people who do so many jobs and i'm every time i go to the ufc i just i go to the back office and i say hello to everybody and i make sure that they know that they're appreciated because without them you know the UFC and MMA in general wouldn't be what it is without all the, the back of the house people. Cause there's so many people who do a lot of work in the back of the house for the UFC. Right. And you know, those are the people that are often forgotten. So it's cool to hear, you know, that you immediately go backstage and definitely pay your homage and respects to those people that are putting on the show that, you know, the millions of fans are spending lots of money on, um, you know, that's commendable for sure. Um, also kind of commendable here is that you spent a lot of time in American Top Team over the last few years. I know you're no longer there, but uh, during your time with American Top Team, who were some of your favorite fighters that you'd either train with or get to see train on a regular basis? Yeah, there's, I mean, you know, when you talk about American Top Team, the history of American Top Team, you know, the best fighters in the world have 
either been a product of them or have come through. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's just an amazing room. It's always been a really good room, but I'd say some of my favorite people that I've had the opportunity to work with were uh, Kyoji Horiguchi. He's just oh, an yeah. amazing, amazing athlete. And then um, a lot of the fighters that come from Dagestan and Russia, like a lot of those guys were, you know, like, uh, Magomed Magomed Karoff, he fights for the PFL right now, welterweight for the PFL. I mean, he's an amazing person to work with. He was extremely good. Rashid Magomedov as well. Like, I liked working with the Russian guys because, one, they didn't speak English. And that was good <laughs> because there was no real conversation. It was just work. It was all about the work. And they loved to work. You know, they would come in, they would pray, and then they would just love to train. So I, I really enjoyed working with a lot of the Russian fighters. And one country that you just mentioned, Dagestan. I want to talk to you a little bit about your uh, Deans and Diaries that you do um, because you actually had Habib Nurmagomedov on there as of late. And uh, obviously he's no longer in the fight game, but he pays close attention to it still. So what is he like as a person uh, in that time that you did spend with him? I know that also you guys had a little bit of a funny interaction on looking for a fight yeah. as well. Um, and then do you think we could maybe see him make a return to the octagon? Well, first, I'll say this, you know, there's, you know, I met a lot of people in the game and you can tell right away that Habib is a stand up, genuine human being and he cares about his people. Here's a guy who's on top of the world. You know, he's the best fighter in the world, but yet we're at an event and he knew about all the up and coming fighters. He studies up and coming fighters. He studies the game. He's a true student of the game. I respect him tremendously. Um, the fact that he did the interview with me, you know, like I, I went up to him saying, hey, man, would you do this interview? No problem, brother, come to my room. So, like, he, he kept his word, and, and a lot of fighters don't do, won't do that. And we're talking about the best fighter in the world. Kept his word, did the show with me. So, like, I got nothing but praise for him, and not only just his career, but him as a man and an individual. Now, with that said, I doubt we'll ever see him fight again, even though I think he still loves the sport. You know, he made, again, he's such an honorable person. He made that word to his mother. He said he would never fight again. So I have to believe him on that. I don't think that he would ever come back and come out of retirement to fight again. But even if he never did, you know, we're blessed to say that we've lived through the era of Habib. And, you know, that says something in itself. I agree with you completely there. And uh, I'm sure Habib will have uh, have the pay-per-view on July 10th for UFC 264 to just pay a little bit of attention to what's going on at that 155 division with McGregor and Poirier. But it's going to take something miraculous for him to come back. I'm in complete agreement with you there. But, Dean, you were in person at UFC 263. Is that correct? Yeah, I was. Okay, so you were able to see the great Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori duke it out for the middleweight strap. What impressed you about that about the middleweight champion? Uh, I know that you kind of were leaning towards Vittori, if I remember correctly, uh, thinking he may be able to upset the champ more so than Moreno um, against mm -hmm. Figueredo. So what kind of impressed you about Adesanya? And do you think that uh, Robert Whitaker has a chance against the middleweight champ? 
Yeah, what impressed me about him was his ability to make corrections after his last fight. So what I thought about the last fight when he lost to Jan Blahovich, I didn't necessarily think it was a size issue because he didn't get taken down until the fourth and fifth round. It was more of a tactical issue where he kind of lost the game. And I think that he made those corrections and he was able to stay calm and make those corrections. And he never allowed Marvin Vittori to put a hand on him and punch him. And that that was the difference between what Jan Blahovich did. Jan Blahovich was able to to hit Israel a few times, and then that's what, you know, he had to worry about that. But Israel never let Marvin Vittori, so I'd say his movement and his defense, you know, was was really on point. I think that really was the difference in that fight. And it impressed me. I mean, Israel showed that he can make adjustments, and he's, and he's, he's ever evolving. And that was what, and you saw, if you heard any of the interviews prior to that fight, Marvin Vittori said that Israel is the same fighter. He's just good at what he does, but he hasn't evolved. And he proved him wrong. Like, he showed that he's he has evolved. I don't necessarily know about his ground game as much. Like, he didn't really have an opportunity to show much on the ground this time. But, you know, just as the, the things he was doing on his feet in terms of defensively, were really sharp, and uh, you know it's always impressive to see when guys evolve th that way. No, I agree with you completely. Again, there, uh, it's been a privilege watching him come and entertain the fans over the last few years. His rise to stardom has been, I mean, aside from maybe McGregor himself, maybe the most impressive I've ever seen when it comes to the speed of his stardom. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it just seems like he's never letting off the gas, and I commend him for that most definitely. Also on that card was Brandon Moreno. Uh, that was a hell of a fight the first time. In the second fight, Moreno looked even better. I know Davison Figueredo was complaining about a tough weight cut this time around, but how big is Moreno's victory for the country of Mexico, and do you expect him to dominate that division? Yeah, I mean, you know, what we saw from Brandon Moreno was just spectacular. I mean, from every aspect, and we saw a star born that night, and part of the reason, like, the one thing I noticed about him was his focus. Now, this is something that I noticed about Israel Adesanya when he fought Paulo Costa, because I was there in attendance for that, and that's focus. And you, there's something about when you see a fighter totally in the zone and totally focused, and we saw that with Brandon Moreno on 263. He was completely focused. And if you look at the body language between Moreno and Figueredo, Figueredo looked a little disjointed he didn't look like he really knew what he wanted he looked like he was just kind of reacting out there and brandon moreno took full advantage of that and just he put that jab on him and he allowed that jab to dictate everything else that happened in the fight and brandon moreno just i mean he he destroyed figueredo and no one saw that coming now not only did he prove that he was you know world championship material but i mean his the adversity that he had to overcome through his whole career you know being last pick on tough, getting kicked out of the UFC in 2018, being able to come back and just, you know, put it, put together a run and then win the title the way he did. That's huge for Mexico. Mexico, I mean, and not that they needed it, but I mean, it's just huge for them, for, for them to have a UFC champion because Mexicans get behind their fighters. And this is something that I'm sure the UFC loves. Mexico loves it. And I know Brandon Moreno loves it. It was awesome seeing him go back to Mexico and get the well reception that he did. He couldn't have deserved it anymore. He did put on an absolute absolute showcase at UFC 263. So I want to rewind here, though, Dean. I want to talk a little bit about Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that you did a little uh, a little uh, story with Michael Chandler prior to that fight, and uh, Chandler's a really likable guy. 
I know he yeah. came from Bellator, so sometimes UFC fans kind of embrace those guys a little bit differently. But, you know, Michael Chandler is a superstar, and he proved that against Dan Hooker, and he showed a lot of good stuff early on in that fight against Charles Oliveira. But can Chandler bounce back, and how good is Charles Oliveira? Yeah, I mean, Charles Oliveira is really good. I mean, he he makes he, – so the thing is, you know, when I look at fighters, I go, all right, how good are they? I look at the, the amount of mistakes they make and then, you know, what they do offensively that's good. And Charles Oliveira makes some mistakes defensively, but he makes up for that. Anything that he makes – anything that he does as a mistake, he makes up for with just firepower in his offense. And he's got a lot of firepower in his offense. He's got a lot of danger and a lot of threat, and he's – I mean, he could really potentially be champ for a little bit, you know, for for a while based on the landscape of the lightweight division right now. But I think that he's definitely someone that, um, you know, that deserves the position that he's in. But as for Chandler, Chandler is a star, like you said, and I'm glad that I was able to do that piece with him because what happened to him was unfair to him that the UFC ran that piece for him on Black History Month because, I mean, and not that it was a bad piece, it just may have been a little mistimed and uh and it was unfair that he had to take the heat for that because i don't think he intended to to try to take any shine away from you know african-americans during black history month so i mean it was a little unfair i'm glad he got an opportunity to speak his piece on that and uh and whoever saw the piece how could you not like michael chandler after that i mean here's a guy who just you know just wants to do the right thing and you're right and people from bellator they they don't really get received the same because you know they always get looked at as a minor league but with that being said i think that his time in bellator didn't fully prepare him for this moment in the ufc because he had that fight won in the first round but again he wasn't used to the ufc experience and the ufc crowd and so on and so forth because in bellator it's not the same so when he, that second round came around, he was a little over anxious, and that's what lost him the fight. I think his lack of experience in the UFC lost him that fight. I would love to see him step into the octagon with a guy like a Justin Gaethje. I think that would be, you know, an absolutely phenomenal fight. And I know that both of those guys have kind of expressed interest in that. So that 155 division is tough as shit, man. It's it's so competitive right now. So. It'll be interesting to see exactly what happens in that 155 division, but I'll keep a close eye on that. Uh, I kind of want to shift gears here, Dean. I want to talk a little boxing with you. Um, before we get into talking about your guy, Tyron Woodley, uh, Vitor Belfort is, is fighting Oscar De La Hoya. And, of course, we saw Ben Askren get dropped by Jake Paul earlier on this year. I'm a huge Anderson Silva fan, and he entered the boxing ring on Saturday night. Could not have been happier for the Spider after he shocked everyone, including myself, uh, by defeating Julio, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Where does Silva rank in terms of all-time greats in the fight game, and were you impressed by what you saw from Silva? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the landscape of combat sports is kind of changing, and the way we look at it is changing. And we, all, we have to be very careful about this because um, because at some level we can minimize what it is that we do you know when, when we allow guys like Logan Paul to step into a boxing ring and go eight rounds with the greatest to ever do it you know that's dangerous because now you're saying now you know the general public can look at that and go man anybody can do this 
they're not that great at what they do. Anybody can do this. Right. So we had to be careful because like you couldn't, Jake Paul couldn't go and play for the, you know, couldn't play for the Hawks against the Sixers. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't step in there and play, you know, so we got to be careful with this, you know, you know, I, th- I thought Floyd made a mistake with that. I think Floyd should have put him away. So hopefully Tyron can, <laughs> can go in there and put this kid away in a, in a couple weeks. But Back to Silva. You know, I, I think what Silva did was great. I think that um, Silva showed that he can get in there and, and fight with the best of them. You know, the thing is, when you come from an MMA background and you're a striker from an M- MMA background, you're used to tough, toughness and adversity. And you're used to being kicked and elbowed and, you know, people trying to take you down. So when when you take off, so when you can put shoes on and put bigger gloves on, it's a little easier. And this is why I like Tyron Woodley's chances because everybody is looking at Tyron Woodley from a striking perspective of MMA, and that's dealing with takedowns and kicks and the distance is different. But when you're allowed to put shoes on and you're lacing up bigger gloves and you're only worried about two fists coming at you, the game is a little bit different. You get to stand a little bit different. You get to have a little bit more comfortability inside the pocket. and Tyron should take full advantage of that against Jake Paul, you know, and because I know Tyron can box. And a lot of people don't realize how well he boxes because he's only been able to show his striking from an MMA perspective. Right. And you already touched on him, but I, I got to dive a little bit deeper into Tyron Woodley with you here because I am a big Tyron Woodley fan. I always have been. Um, you know, it, it kind of felt like he never was able to regain his feet and his momentum after the Usman defeat. Um, you know, that, that was a tough match for him, and that's where Usman became a superstar ultimately. Um, but I, I, I want to ask you here, because I know you guys stay in contact. I'm not sure how involved you are with the camp right now, but has Tyron reached out to you about working with him at all during this camp? And how often do the, have the two of you been discussing this fight? We spoke uh, like two weeks ago. He called me for the first time. You know, when, when we're not in camp, you know, me and Tyron, you know, we're so busy with our lives and we're always hustling that we don't always talk. So that was the two weeks ago was the first time I talked to him since his loss to Vincent DeLuque. And uh, he called me and, you know, but it's always just love when I, when I talk to him. So he called me and, you know, we had a good laugh for a while because, like, we laughed about the fact that, now he's going to finally get his payday. <laughs> you know, like, this is the moment he's been waiting for. And it took him to lose four times in the UFC and get out of the UFC to finally get his payday. So we, we kind of chuckled about that. But in terms of training, he you know, he's working with a lot of boxing people. But the one thing that I can respect about Tyron is that he said, he said, man, listen, y'all been with me since the beginning. And now that I'm getting my payday, I'm not going to leave y'all behind. So he said, I don't know how much I'm going to be a part of the camp, but he just wants me around just because, like, you know, this is his moment now. Like, now he's getting his moment. And he's like, you know what? I got to bring my people with me, the people who was there with me in the trenches. And I told him, I said, don't feel any pressure. Just go out there and win. Like, I don't need to be around. That's my thing is I don't need to be around. Like, I just I want to see him win and do well, and I want to see him cash out because I think if he wins this against Jake Paul, gets a rematch and wins that, then he will never have to work again. <laughs> so, yeah, so, like, I just – that's what I want for him. So, I don't – you know, I don't want to distract anything because he feels like he needs to have me around or anything. I just want him to win for many reasons. One, I want to see him, you know, cash out. And two, I mean, again, like, it's dangerous to let these, you know, YouTubers come in and take over combat sports. 
for sure. I mean, how important really is this fight between Paul and Woodley for the MMA community, in your opinion? I mean, it's pretty important, you know, because, I mean, you thought if you thought Ben Askren was important, you know, that was one thing, but everybody knew that Ben couldn't box. And Ben couldn't box. Like, Ben was, to be honest with you, Ben is one of the worst strikers in MMA. You know, he really was a bad striker. But we had high hopes. We, we was hoping that he would just go in there and wrestle him a little bit and get him tired. But Ben didn't do that. Like, Ben came in and he looked the worst I've ever seen his body look. Like, he was out of shape and he just looked like he just wanted to get a paycheck. Yeah. But Tyron is a little different. Like, everybody kind of knows that Tyron is a better athlete. He has knockout power. Um, but it's still, in my opinion, it's still a matchup that Jake Paul saw as safe enough for him to take and win. So I think we need to make Jake Paul pay for that, for him to think it's safe enough for him. So, um, yeah, I'm just hoping that Tyron goes out there and shows what he's capable of because he can box. I mean, he spent the majority of his MMA career boxing in a gym, like boxing in boxing gyms. But then when it came to fight, like I said, it's a different striking arena. So you can't really box. So... I think it messed up his whole game, but now he gets a chance to finally show that he can box. Right. And he did show a little bit of flashes during that Vincent DeLuke fight where, you know, he came out strong early on. Uh, you know, he was throwing some tough shots and then obviously the darts choke ended the fight. Um, you know, that was a tough way to see the former champ go out. You know, maybe maybe this is his way to, uh, you know, get his name back into the MMA as well. Maybe not with the UFC, per se, but it would be great to see him get back into the octagon if he looks impressive against Paul. No, I think, I think what will happen is if, you know, like I said, he's going he's gonna to get paid, and then he's going to fight him again and get paid again. And then I think, you know, we're going to see, you know, his rap career take off. He's going <laughs> to use that money and build a, a rap studio in his, in his backyard, so... Well, That's, hey, man, whatever, whatever makes him happy. And I, I did see, I, yeah. think he, I think he did something with Wiz Khalifa recently, who is uh, pretty involved with the PFL, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what his involvement is with, um, with the PFL, but I know Wiz Khalifa is a big MMA fan. He trains and, you know, he, he loves the game. So, you know, I'm sure everybody, like, you know, Tyron's going to be, he's, you know, he, when he beats Jake Paul, man, he'll, he'll really have the name recognition that he's always wanted. Like, really, that's what he, as a champ, what Tyron really wanted as a champ was to be respected as a champ. And when he wasn't getting that, then you saw him get sour, and it was kind of a catch-22 that people didn't like the fact that he was sour. But really, what he just wanted was respect. So, like I said, this is the opportunity for him to get his respect, get paid, and I think that it was written, you know, this is, the way it, it was supposed to work out for him right and I saw recently uh that he was around guys like Mike Perry and Jorge Masvidal so you wonder how involved some of these other MMA fighters are I'm sure they want to see this guy get his ass beat uh referring to Jake Paul of course not Tyron but um you know I'm, I'm sure that these guys have definitely been involved trying to do what they can to you know show him that at least that they do respect him and they're ready for somebody to do the honors of, you know, doing the entire MMA community a favor and beat this guy's ass, which I think everybody really wants to see. Yeah, I mean, and, and Mike Perry's probably kind of a good look for that too. I mean, <laughs> let's, let's, I don't want to take anything away from Jake Paul. I mean, he's obviously been boxing a long time and he's been sandbagging, you know. I mean, and I don't even know, just want to say he's been sandbagging. 
because like he's never really said he didn't box. I mean, he's been telling everybody that he's a, a real boxer and he could box and he can box. Like, I'm not taking that away from him, but there's no reason why he should be able to come in here and beat our world-class athletes because I don't give him that much credit, but he's got a little punch to him. I mean, obviously he can, he can punch. I mean, he's knocked out three people. Anybody who knocks out three people can punch. He can punch, but you know, I, I have faith in my people, man. So like, I'm, I'm always going to ride with my squad. Right. And now Dean, if you were a betting man, would you be confident in taking Tyron Woodley, your guy to win this fight after a tough skid to end his UFC career? Yeah, I would. You know, I would bet on Tyron. Like I said, I think that he can. I think that he boxes a lot better than people give him credit for. And based on what he's shown inside of an octagon, again, it makes Jake Paul confident. It gives him confidence. Oh, he's just a wrestler with a right hand. And I can see them just thinking that. But when, if Tyron, when Tyron comes out and he's boxing and he's showing, man, he, he can box. He puts that jab on him. You know, I think we're going to see a, a different fight. We're going to see a different fighter. Dean, final question for you here, my friend. You spend plenty of time studying the fight game, and I know you've watched Paul's film, so I want to know what sticks out to you about Jake Paul's game that you think Woodley needs to target in this fight. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, to me, to me, you know, he can box a little bit. I mean, he's, he's, an, he's an athletic kid. You know, he's not, you know, he's no slouch. You know, he's, he's a little bit bigger. But he's got a decent right hand and a decent counter left hook. He likes to, and he did it to Ben. He's, he's done it to everybody. He's knocked out. He likes to jab to the body, get your hands low, and come up with a right hand. I mean, it's pretty simple as that. But, you know, he's not, and, and he throws everything into punches. That's why he throws a hard shot, then he clinches. Throws a hard shot, then he clinches. So, like, the, the reality is that you can't get hit with one of his power punches. You can't fall for his jab to the body. So, you know, with Tyron's movement, his head movement, and his hand speed, I don't think he's going to have much of a problem. Well, I hope that you are correct, and I know that the MMA community out there would love to see the former champ put Jake Paul on his ass, on the canvas where he belongs. So, Dean, that's going to wrap it up for me at Division II Sports Radio. It was a great time, man. Uh, I want to thank the great Dean Thomas, the legend of the fight game. Uh, Y'all be sure to follow him on Instagram, at Dean Thomas. And also be sure to tune in to Dean's Diaries on the UFC's YouTube page. And, uh, Dean, will we see you at some main events here soon? Yeah, I'll be. I'll actually be on the uh, the broadcast for UFC 264 Poirier McGregor. So y'all will be hearing me every so often. John Anik will throw it to me, and I'll give y'all some nuggets. Awesome, man. Anik's one of the best in the business, as is yourself. And uh, Dean, this was a real honor. Hope to do it again soon. Thank you again, my friend. Okay, my man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Division Two Sports. For all Division 2 sports news, follow us on social media at Division underscore 2 sports. You can go your own.